survive in hot climates, I would have been born in the summer and not the fucking winter time. Even though you were born in New Orleans? I've lived in New Orleans for six months before <laughs> my family moved to Colorado. Most of my birthdays were middle of winter Colorado birthdays. I am not built for this climate. This is awful. Send help. <laughs> Duh. Hello there, all of you vicious parasites, and welcome back for another episode of Creeptology. To start off this episode, can I get a Hail Satan? Hail Satan! That's right. I am the first of your hosts, Salem. This week, I identify as ominous synth music. Ooh. I identify as an empty beer can in our best friend's garage. Fuck yeah. I am joined today by my otherworldly co-host, Michaela. That'd be me. How have things been going? I feel like I haven't seen you in a million years. It feels like a million years. Um, I got a new kind of position at work, so. Fuck yeah. Do anything fun outside of work-related shenanigans? Just editing. Just all the editing. Just all the editing. So the answer would be a no. That's fun. Uh, no. Sounds like um, adulting. Unfortunately, it's been pretty lame and trying to not sweat to death because 96 degree weather is not my friend. No, not at all. Um, well, I just, before we start this episode, which I had so much fun fucking researching, <laughs> it was honestly just like doing a psychology paper Ooh. and me as a psychology major was just like very much excited about it. And I'm going into this blind. I know the topic, but I don't know any of the juicy bits. So we yeah, get no, into I, I kept the shit on like the DL. I'm excited to get into the juicy bits. I am very excited to share these juicy bits with you. <laughs> juicy bits are my favorite, especially the beer. Mm. Only if you're local Colorado, though. Yeah, juicy bits is very delicious beer. It is. Shout out Weldworks. Local beer. Come to Colorado if you like local beer because we have it literally every fucking where. It's delicious. I just wanted to say up top as a warning before really get into the meat and the juicy bits of this episode that it does have brief mentions of alleged sexual assault and violence against children. I try my best to really not go into like explicit detail about it, but it is a topic that gets talked about. So I just want to give a little warning up top. Uh, with the topic of today's episode, we're really just sc barely scratching the surface of a time when dread spread like wildfire across the country. It was fueled by the power of suggestion and the fear of the unknown. That time was the satanic panic. Ooh. Ah. It rhymes so nicely, though. It, it, it's so catchy. That's the thing. You had to give all of the, like, scary shit a catchy name to make it a little bit more palatable for the people of the early 80s. Either that or just make it stick in their brains more so they thought about it constantly because it rhymes. Right. The information for this episode came from multiple sources. Uh, so one of them was a 2021 New York Times article titled, It's Time to Revisit the Satanic Panic. There was a report from the Missouri Legislative Library on Satanic Panic in the Missouri General Assembly. An article from Psychology Today titled Forget-Me-Not, The Persistent Myth of Repressed Memories, and certain excerpts from a book titled Michelle Remembers. There's also uh, a 2020 segment that I mentioned later that you can find on YouTube, which is honestly extremely comical to go back and, uh, and watch now. <laughs> <laughs> to really get into the satanic panic, we need to get back to the roots and travel to the land where Satan worship was known to be rampant. Do you have any guesses where that rampant satanic land was? My guess is California. 
Uh, you were close. It definitely begins with a C, but that rampant satanic land would be, in fact, Canada, our brothers to the north. All those Canadians. Right. The, like, people you would least likely expect to start a satanic panic in the United States. They're so nice. You'd think. You'd think that. But... According to some of the people in the story, they might not be as nice as we let on. Hmm. Our fear-filled story can be traced back to the contributions of two certain individuals, Canadian psychologist Lawrence Pazdar and his patient Michelle Smith. So Lawrence Pazdar was a psychologist in Victoria, British Columbia, Canada during the 80s, and he strongly believed in the ability to use hypnotherapy to pull out repressed memories that may have been buried due to trauma. For those who don't know how hypnosis works, using repetitive sounds, phrases, and images, a guide, and oftentimes a therapist in these cases, would attempt to lull the subject into a state beyond consciousness in order to uncover past trauma that it may have been suppressed. Um, in successful cases of hypnosis, the subject would enter a state of heightened focus, concentration, and suggestibility. So they would use these repeated phrases to be able to pull up these repressed memories and allow their patients to work on the memories that they may have forgotten due to PTSD and other things. Well, according to Pazdar, he spent 14 months and 600 hours using hypnosis on Michelle to uncover a traumatic past laced with abuse caused by the hands of a satanic cult in Canada. Michelle's supposed first-hand accounts claim that she was witness to ritual sacrifice involving infants and subjected to abuse, torture, and possession by Satan himself. Mm. Pazdar and Smith wrote down the supposed first-hand accounts of satanic ritual abuse and published them in 1980 in a book titled Michelle Remembers. While society at the time was an extremely conservative and religious-centered society, definitely more so then than it is now, even though it's still definitely that way now, tales of horrific crimes committed on behalf of Satan was just the perfect kindling for the rampant hellfire that the satanic panic spread across the country. And this was during the time of Richard Ramirez, too, wasn't it? This was, yeah, right... Or shortly but, before. Yeah, this was slightly before Richard Ramirez. All of this happened around the same time period. So, yeah, the media was just kind of frenzied with lots of mentions of Satan at the time. And this was kind of the catalyst towards all of that um, becoming known more in, like, society and mass media. It was the first real mention of satanic presence that could cause evil that the person didn't remember mm. or was forced to forget about. All this mention of repressed memories just makes me think Sigmund Freud would have been so proud. Yup. This but whole only, shit is Only if so, your mother was involved. This whole, all of it is, like, so Freudian because it's about memories being suppressed into the subconscious but it's like that's not how she works as someone studying psychology newsflash that's not how shit works i'm sorry <laughs> you may think that your memories can be suppressed and like recovered but no uh hypnotism in my opinion is a hoax like, it can be useful. There are absolutely circumstances where hypnotism was successful, but it was for smaller things, like getting people to quit smoking or drinking as much, because 
like I said earlier, with hypnotism, you're more suggestible. So it's easier to, to implant in people's minds that they don't like a certain habit that they're doing. But you don't just repress memories. They don't move to the subconscious. Like, the brain is far more malleable than anyone ever thought of before. But not in that way. Yeah, no. You can't forget memories. You can re-remember things, but there's always going to be some of it that's not true. Yeah, every time you remember something, it's... Fragmented a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Well, and I would say that then hypnotism is only useful if someone therefore had a predetermined inclination to do that behavior in the first place. Exactly. So and if they this wanted is, to quit smoking. Right. And this is kind of where I also say that like hypnotism used for the purpose of pulling up repressed memories is a hoax because who are the only people that are able to pull up these repressed memories? It's the therapists. Mm. These same therapists that are claiming that this method works. Well, mm. it's just a way to like keep the money coming in, to keep people coming in to pull up their repressed memories, which isn't something that can be done. But if your therapist is claiming that it can be done and that they can do it for you, but they're the only ones that can do it. They're the only ones that can do it for you. Ah. It just pulls in a lot of vulnerable people into, like, a situation that may not be beneficial for them. And later we'll get into the detriments that memory recovery therapy truly caused. Because mm. it was more than just, like, the people who were wrongly accused during this time that had some detriments happen. Hmm. Lead on. Well, Michelle Remembers was not the only book at the time to have an impact on the Satanic Panic. With the publish of the self-help book titled The Courage to Heal, A Guide for Women Survivors of Child Sexual Abuse, the idea of abuse-related memory recovery became widespread in America. So it's kind of like what we were talking about. This was the book that in America made memory recovery a widespread, well-known practice. So then everyone was like, I must have some repressed I, memories. Exactly. I have repressed memories. I need to go to a therapist and get this figured out. And it was just... It kind of snowballed. So the idea that incredibly traumatic memories could be suppressed and later recovered was extremely tempting to vulnerable individuals. But if you look at research done by renowned psychologist Elizabeth Loftus, her research proves that techniques often used by therapists for memory recovery are also extremely effective for implanting false memories mm. and recreating detailed accounts of situations that never happened. Elizabeth Loftus is the psychologist who's responsible for most of the psychology behind uh, false eyewitness accusations due to the way that memory processes things. Mm -hmm. And in her research, it showed that, yeah, a lot of the methods that these therapists were using were actually implanting these false memories. They were leading with suggestive questions and at a state of heightened consciousness and... Uh, vulnerability. vulnerability, it's way more likely that you're going to accept these theories that people are telling about your life that you may or may not remember. Mm -hmm. So it's really important to think about 
this research when moving forward, looking at the satanic panic and kind of how everything started. At the beginning of the 80s, Satanism wasn't originally to blame for all of the crimes that were going on and the rise of like weird things happening, although everybody did agree that there was weird and elaborate stuff going on. But until later in like the early 80s, around 82, is really when they started pointing the finger at Satanism itself. Well, and this is when serial killers were at large, too. Oh, yeah. This so was, there was a lot going on. There was a huge reason for people at this time to have high tensions. You know, you're coming out of, like, the 60s and 70s, and then going into the 80s, an era where, like you said, serial killers are running all over the country. That was, like, the era for serial killers. And I think that with the satanic panic, something you'll see here and something you see in a lot of those cases, the biggest problem with it is the fact that these cases were televised and highly publicized, and that causes a lot of copycat action and... And anxiety. Anxiety, and it really just amplifies the situation past the point of control, because then you have an entire country who's under panic over something that happened in one city because it decided to go televised with it. And quick question, what was the cult that Michelle supposedly was abused by? I don't remember the name of it. Huh. Um, it I remember that it was a cult that her, supposedly her parents had introduced her to as a child. Okay. Where from childhood she was the victim of like verbal, physical, and mental abuse and witnessed human and animal sacrificial rituals. So did that actually happen? Uh, we'll get there. Okay. Uh, okay, I'm, I'm jumping ahead. Yes, we'll get there. Okay, okay, okay. So everything came to a head in 1983 when police in Manhattan Beach, California started receiving calls of bizarre acts of abuse being performed at McMartin Preschool by the owners and staff. The first of the reports came from Manhattan Beach parent Judy Johnson. Johnson contacted the police with claims that her son had been sexually abused by staff member Ray Buckley at Martin Preschool, along with claims of Buckley flying and children being drilled under their arms. Flying. Flying. Just like... Levitating off the air. Over the desk, like, woo! I feel like as a child that would be pretty exciting and kind of cool. Be like, hey, look, that guy can fly. So this parent called the police in a frenzy with these crazy claims of a bloody goat man and wow. staff members flying and yeah, students being drilled under their arms by staff members and being abused in ridiculously heinous and fantastical ways. Um, despite the grossly insufficient lack of evidence, the police decided to respond to the tip by sending out a letter to 200 families involved with the McMartin Preschool, asking them to interview their children about potential abuse that they might have experienced. The letter reads, oh. September 8th, 1983. Dear parent, this department is conducting a criminal investigation involving child molestation. Ray Buckley, an employee of Virginia McMartin's Preschool, was arrested September 7th, 1983 by this department. The following procedure is obviously an unpleasant one, but to protect the rights of your children as well as the rights of the accused, this inquiry is necessary for a complete investigation. Records indicate that your child has been or is currently a student at the preschool. 
We are asking your assistance in this continuing investigation. Please question your children to see if he or she has been a witness to any crime or if he or she has been a victim. Our investigation indicates that possible criminal acts include oral sex, fondling of genitals, buttock, or chest area, and sodomy, possibly committed under the pretense of taking the child's temperature. Also, photos may have been taken of children without their clothing. Any information from your child regarding ever have observed Ray Buckley to leave a classroom alone with a child during any nap period or if they've ever observed Ray Buckley tie up a child is important. Please complete the enclosed information form and return to this department in the enclosed stamped return envelope as soon as possible. We will contact you if circumstances dictate same. Okay, so many things. Yeah. So many things. First of all, they didn't think to just go down there and maybe, like, I don't know, talk to the school first. They just arrested the dude and decided to send out this extremely... Yeah. They arrested Ray. Yeah. And then sent out a letter to 200 families telling them details of this investigation and asking their children if they've also experienced similar things that have happened. But they didn't go down there and actually no. do an investigation. Mm-hmm. They just decided they were going to vastly alarm 200 families. Yes. I... I... Yeah. That is some ass-backwards police work right there. It's the 80s. What do you expect? From the police, not much. Yeah. I, police in the 80s, you really can't oh expect gosh. much. I just had flashbacks to, like, all the serial killer investigations in the 80s where departments wouldn't even talk to each other, so... Right. The one that popped in my head is when the uh, police returned the victim to Jeffrey Dahmer. Yep. So it's like, you really can't hold police to a high standard back in the 80s. That's fair. Okay. Well, well, along with parents, the authorities also had a number of different psychologists interview the children and record their testimonies of any potential abuse that occurred. Well, in 1984, with the help of these testimonies, seven McMartin family members and employees were charged with 115 counts of child abuse, later expanding to 321 counts of child abuse involving 48 children. Claims that the abuse was satanic in nature were made during the McMartin trial. These claims included the claim about the accused Ray Buckley's ability to fly, as well as the secret underground tunnel system under the preschool that was allegedly used to isolate the children while remaining undetected. Due to the high publicity surrounding this case, it sparked the response of other preschools around the country, and hundreds of preschools were experiencing an increase in similar accusations. An organization named Believe the Children was founded to promote the idea of satanic ritual abuse being prominent in schools in similar places across the U.S. I mean, even if the guy was a child molester, there really is no evidence that he that it was satanic in nature. He could have just been a creepo. Right. But he was flying. He was flying. That was uh. really the biggest thing that they had to go on is these testimonies from parents at the beginning saying that he was flying and there was bloody goat men and secret hidden tunnels but and they never found these tunnels. bloody animal sacrifices Did they? they never investigated uh. for the tunnels they just took the word of these hysterical parents and their children 
And it's a preschool, so these kids are four? Between three and five, yes. Continue. Well, claims of satanic ritual abuse, similar to those seen during the McMartin trial, started becoming more and more common, and in order to keep up with the increase in calls, police officers and social workers across the nation had to partake in satanic ritual training. The satanic panic was taken so seriously, in fact, that FBI agents, police officers, social workers, and lawyers would gather all the information they could on Satanism and hold seminars and conferences to share their findings with each other. At these conferences, they'd hand out pamphlets about satanic symbols such as the pentagram or 666, satanic calendars marking all of the satanic holidays, and a list of known occult groups, which included a group of feminist astrologers in Minnesota. Even though the information regarding Satanism could seldom be corroborated, it still spread like wildfire. Whoa. I feel so bad for that group of feminist astrologers in Minnesota. They were just trying to look at the stars, bro. Yeah. They were just trying to, like, look at the stars. Make things better for women. They live in Minnesota. And they're accused of Satanism. Oh, man. Because, you know, this was really... This was 1983? Yeah, this was 83, 84 during the, like, new wave movement Mm -hmm. and where hair metal started getting big and yep hair metal started getting big we're getting out of the hippie era and into new wave and then into yeah hair metal and more heavy metal era and so anyone and everyone at that time was pretty much a scapegoat sounds like a bunch of bored housewives to me but continue Well, in the early 80s, leaflets accusing the corporate giant Procter & Gamble of using its profits to support Satan worship started circulating around the country. And for reference, Procter & Gamble is the company responsible for most cleaning products you use in your home, like Febreze, Tide, Gain Laundry Soap, things among that nature. In April of 1985, an uproar of thousands of angry customers called the P&G corporate office demanding answers about their involvement with Satan. Because nothing says Satan like a clean load of laundry, stain-free. Those stains came out must be the work of the devil. Color-safe bleach. (laughs) So the satanic involvement in question from this company was the supposed depiction of the devil in the company's logo. So the logo, which dated back to 1882, was of a bearded man in the moon with 13 stars to represent the 13 original colonies. I actually do have a picture to show you. Show me, show me, show me, show me, show me, show me, show me. So that is Satan, supposedly. Oh, that's cool. That's actually really cool. I thought it was a super dope logo. That is a super dope logo. Look it up if you don't know what it looks like. Yeah, Procter & Gamble, their old logo from, like, the 1880s up until 1991, I think, is when they ended up ultimately changing it. That's actually really cool. Yeah, it's just, like, a beardy man in the moon. Well, W. Wallace Abbott, the vice president of Procter & Gamble, vehemently denied any link to Satan worship in a press conference that was held, stating that it was all just rumors. The company began a two-decade-long campaign defending its name, they filed lawsuits, sent reps out to churches, and pursued court cases as recently as 2007. But like I said, ultimately, they ended up changing their logo. Wow. Because a bunch of Karens wanted to complain that a bearded man was Satan. 
This just in, any bearded man in the 80s is Satan. Sorry, guys. Well, the satanic panic didn't stop there. In May of 1985, 2020 released a segment on Satan worship in the U.S. titled The Satan Worshippers. The host of the segment, Hugh Downs, started off by saying that police have been skeptical when investigating these acts, just as we are in reporting them. But there's no question that something is going on out there, and that's sufficient reason for 2020 to look into it. Although uncertainty was claimed, the report was anything but skeptical. The report went on to describe acts of animal mutilation, satanic graffiti, and the three different types of satanic groups, self-styled Satanist, religious Satanist, and satanic cults. The segment claimed there were ties between horror movies, heavy metal music, satanic activity, calling Rosemary's Baby the best advertisement that devil worship has ever had. I mean, I would argue against that if you've ever actually seen the movie. Right, and honestly, if I heard that, it would just make me want to watch the movie even more. Well, naturally, and that's exactly what it did with heavy metal. Yeah. That was exactly what it did with heavy metal. I mean, they had, like, Ozzy Osbourne on there. They had Motley Crue on there. All kinds of stuff. Like, if you're any kind of metalhead that enjoys metal from the 80s, like, you've seen the clips. Yep. Dee Snider, Like, all those guys were on there discussing all of this stuff. Yep. Because it was just the easiest thing to scapegoat the people who are a little bit more, like, outcast or mm-hmm. misfit in society than it was to take actual accountability or responsibility for anything. Because it was easier to say that this, like, you know, unseen big bad was going around causing murder than your neighbor Joe, you know, people that you've seen walking down the street all the time. And I find that really interesting, too, because this being the heyday of the serial killer and that being so heavily televised, all these people, which I guess did make it worse, but all these people are seeing that the serial killer... Nine times out of ten is just the average Joe, your politician, your local Boy Scout leader, right. etc. So I guess in a way that made it worse because they suspected everybody. But on the other hand, wouldn't it make it so like the weirdo down the street who keeps to themselves probably isn't that big of a threat? You would think, but it's always easier to blame the person who doesn't have a voice in society. Fair point. Fair point. And so with scapegoating, they used metal music, comic books, Uh and movies. It was believed, too, that if you were already in the grasp of Satanism, that watching horror movies would allow you to see the true image of Satan and would therefore inspire you to kill for Satan. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Right. I rolled my eyes so hard I gave myself a goddamn headache. (laughs) I'm I'm absorbing. I'm just like, hmm, because, you know... Spider-Man is so evil. The most evil. The most evil. I mean, maybe Doc Ock, but, you know. All of it was evil. Literally all of it was evil. Well, correspondent Tim Jario went on to state that today we have found Satan is alive and thriving, or at least plenty of people believe he is. His followers are extremely secretive, but found in all walks of life. The only mention that any information the police had was speculative wasn't made until the end of the report. Three years later, in 1988, NBC commissioned their own special centered on Satan worship titled Devil Worship, Exposing Satan's Underground. In this special, host Geraldo Rivera described gruesome crimes, aired child abuse testimonies, and interviewed a couple of people who seemingly had ties to Satanism. P. 
Pete Rowland, a teenager charged with the 1987 murder of a classmate, and the Prince of Darkness himself, Ozzy Osbourne. <laughs> I knew it. Rivera went on to allege that thousands of children were being sacrificed by satanic cults every year and that marijuana usage and metal music were partially to blame for teenagers' sudden increased interest in Satan. This was especially seen with the case of self-proclaimed Satanist Ricky Casso. 17-year-old Casso was arrested for the murder of his friend Gary Lowers in Newport, New York while high on mescaline. Lowers was found with 36 stab wounds and his eyes were cut out of his head, which had the investigators believing that the crime was ritualistic in nature. When Casso was arrested, he was wearing an ACDC shirt, which strengthened the supposed link between metal music and Satanism. 20 million households tuned in to watch this NBC special, and Devil Worship, exposing Satan's underground, became the most watched documentary at the time. In the years following the release of NBC's deep dive into satanic activity, hundreds of similar documentaries began to air on every major network. Well, yeah, you see, I mean, that's the case in everything. If you see one thing get a big response, everyone's gonna copy it. Everyone's gonna copy it. That's how media works. You see what's getting views, and so everyone is going to jump on that train to try and also get those views. Exactly. What I don't get is how they're like, it's marijuana, the devil's lettuce, but this motherfucker was high on mescaline. It was a drug deal gone wrong, is what the situation with, like, Ricky Casso really was, is where he was high on mescaline and arguing with his friend about a drug deal and ended up stabbing him, but since he was a self-proclaimed Satanist and was wearing an ACDC shirt, they made the connection that he listened to ACDC and therefore ACDC made him kill for Satan. Those darn Aussies. How dare they? They're on a highway to hell. <laughs> that was good. Back in black. You you that? <laughs> well, hell's bells. Okay. <laughs> All right. Continuing on. Due to cases like that of Ricky Casso, a specific group of ke- people became the perfect scapegoats to blame for satanic activity. Metalheads. Yup. Metal music and metal style has always been known to have darker imagery in it, and the conservatives in the country at the time took notice and ran with it. Anti-metal music organizations started popping up everywhere, with groups of parents rallying against music groups like KISS, ACDC, Iron Maiden, and Black Sabbath. As a result, the individuals who listened to these groups got caught in the crossfire. These anti-metal groups would claim that teenagers who listened to metal music would be influenced by the satanic imagery and in turn become agents of Satan. No. Oh, no. (laughs) Not Kiss, the Knights in Satan's service. Oh, no, not ACDC, Antichrist Devil Child. (laughs) (laughs) Never heard that one before. That's good. Yeah, other claims were made at the time that the band names ACDC and Kiss were acronyms for darker underlying meanings, and also that if you played certain songs in reverse, it would reveal brainwashing satanic messages. Supposedly, that if you play Stairway to Heaven by Led Zeppelin backwards, a part in it will say, My Sweet Satan. And then, you know, there's always been a ton of speculation that Hotel California mm-hmm. is about Satanism and hedonism and that it's full of satanic messagery like this has been around forever the beatles were accused of being satanic okay and those songs didn't even come out in the 80s nope 
majority of them came out in the 70s. Yep. It's just because they were getting popular at the time by people that were easy to blame for all of these, like, horrific crimes going on. Because, yeah, if you see a a little kid get murdered, are you going to blame the dude in a suit that's cleaned up all nice or the guy wearing a fucking Metallica shirt with a pentagram on it and long-ass hair covered in spikes? I mean, knowing what I know, I'd say the dude in the suit, but... Knowing that now, they did not know this back then. Doing all of this research, it just made me laugh. I was like, literally us and all of our friends would have been accused of some sort of satanic bullshit. So basically, it was just the Salem witch trials all over again. Yeah, it's, you know... The same thing. Yeah, history is doomed to repeat itself. It's just focused on a different topic. Instead of witches, it's Satanists and Satan this time. I mean, it's kind of the same thing, It's all just a different angle of the occult, but it's occult all the same. It's just stuff that people don't understand and they're afraid of, and therefore they use their fear to, you know, blame other people and people they don't understand to get rid of them. Yep. And police would use metal music as a satanic scapegoat for decades, We saw it echoed heavily in the Richard Ramirez case, where it was mentioned over and over and over again that he listened to metal music and that his favorite artist was ACDC. You also see it with, like, the Columbine High School shooting, Mm -hmm. where, well, they listened to Marilyn Manson, so that's what drove them to do this. It's like, no. No. Shut up. (laughs) If anything, it made them not do it sooner. Right. But they weren't even fans of Marilyn Manson, so that was, like, the kind of almost, almost funny thing about the whole thing was they blamed it on Marilyn Manson. Not that I'm saying that he's innocent, but, you know... He should be blamed in retrospect, but... Well, it's like, he should be blamed for other he's things done. that he actually did, not that, which he didn't do anything, and they didn't even like his music. They were just a bunch of dickheads. Exactly. And that's what this is most of the time is just, like, a lot of dickheads causing crime and it being blamed on innocent bystanders due to stereotypes. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can't really blame Richard Ramirez, though, because ACDC slaps. I fucking love ACDC. Like, he picked a good favorite band. Like, everything he did in his life, for the most part, was wrong, but his taste in music was pretty good. Exactly. I'm like... You gotta give credit where credit is due, and I really hate that I have to give credit to Richard Ramirez, but his music taste was like... It was. Just kiss. It was. <laughs> well, during this wave of panic that was sweeping the nation, there were a few certain individuals who were cashing in at every opportunity they could. We are going back to our now married couple of the era, psychologists Lawrence Pazdar and Michelle Smith. The release of Michelle Remembers brought the couple royalties totaling $342,000 and the potential of a movie deal. In 1989, Smith was featured on Oprah alongside Laurel Rose, another author of a satanic abuse memoir. Over the course of the program, Oprah actively warned her listeners about the dangers of satanic cults. Many seemingly credible people were coming out and saying that occult ritual abuse is all around if you just know how to look for it. What era did Jonestown happen? Um, I want to say that was 70s? So this is coming off of Jonestown a little bit. Although that wasn't even satanic in nature. That was just a cult. That was just a cult, yeah. There was nothing satanic. And then Heaven's Gate was also 
70s, 60s, wasn't it? It was very coming off of the hippie wave. Yeah. So, like, 70s is really when you're getting, like, the big wave of, like, cults. Yeah. And then the 80s is when you go into the wave of, like, serial killers. Like, Mm -hmm. 70s, you're going to have Heaven's Gate with Marshall Applewhite. And then you'll have Jonestown and the Jonestown Massacre, which was in 78 when that happened. Okay. So, it was the tail end of the 70s leading into the Satanic Panic. So, all of this just, like... The world was just a scary time. The country had a lot of fucked shit going on, like always, because welcome to life. Nothing much has changed since then. I mean, the cults have died down a little bit. The serial killers have died down a little bit, maybe because the lead is gone in the water. But Right, or we're just not televising them as much. Who knows? The world will never know. Or we might 50 years from now. Who knows? Well, not all of the people could be so prosperous and countless lives were destroyed as many people were wrongfully imprisoned as a result of the panic sweeping the country in cases where the only evidence was recovered memories from abuse of a three-year-old well not just that any mention of satanic panic there was like 200 people across the country so with the mcmartin trial that was just seven people responsible supposedly for 321 cases of abuse this is 200 individuals who were arrested and most of them wrongly accused and imprisoned due to based on no evidence based on no evidence because people said they went to therapy and had their memories resurfaced which claimed abuse hmm hmm well with the nearly 200 individuals being arrested in part to stereotypes uh, a big you know case with that was the west memphis three which was about three teenage boys in arkansas who were accused of horrific crimes under the name of satanic ritual abuse and ended up serving 20 years for crimes that they never committed until they were like subsequently released years later due to faulty testimony and you see that echoed time and time again with the satanic panic is faulty testimony and that's what through a lot of these people in prison they were really going around at this time and just taking people's word for shit. Scary. Yeah, there is a uh, similar story in 1991 about Dan and Fran Keller, who also owned a preschool. This was during the time of the McMartin trials when all of these other preschools were having allegations come out about them. And Dan and Fran were both accused of satanic ritual child abuse and sentenced to 48 years in prison. They served almost half of their sentence they served 21 years before they were released due to unreliable testimony well no fucking shit they shouldn't have been put there in the first place right but it was a parent who had called and claimed that one of them had spanked their child and that other satanic abuses were also going on presently at the time well maybe their child was a little fucking shit i mean Satan ain't got nothing to do with no. faulty parenting. Control your offspring. Your That's crotch goblins. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah. Don't release your crotch goblins into the world unless you are ready to tame them. Yeah. Please and thank you. Don't feed them after midnight. Exactly. You get it. Yeah. Well, while we are on the topic of unreliable testimony, we're going to revisit the McMartin preschool trial. 
So in this trial, seven employees were being tried on 321 counts of ritualistic child abuse against 48 children after the odd abuse was detailed in the children's testimonies. Well, you see, there was a huge problem with these testimonies. All of them were made up. Yeah. Every single one. The psychologist in charge of interviewing the children mishandled the situation and used a ton of leading questions to get responses that they were looking for, with a vast majority of the child testimonies used in the McMartin case being a result of improper interrogation techniques, childhood imagination, and urban legend. How does urban legend play into this? You know, satanic goat man. Bloody goat man sounds like an urban legend, absolutely. It does. It's just like tales being passed around. It's like, oh, did you hear about the way that he flew across the classroom and shot lasers from his eyes? Like, enough people talk about that, and then it's an urban legend. Fair point. It's like the... What is that? There is a term for beings that become real... If they're believed oh, enough. I know what you're talking about, but I don't know the phrase for it. Uh, yeah, there's a term for urban myth <laughs> Why do you ask me questions I don't know the answer to? I wasn't prepared for I this. I need to look this up. But yeah. Keep brainstorming. Ah, <laughs> uh, it starts with a T? I yeah. Mean, it starts with a T. But yeah, there's beings that become real if enough people believe in them. Uh, I want to say it's like Tabber, Tabernash, Tabergash. That's a jellyfish. That's not what I'm after. <laughs> gash in the mash. After you do the dash. No, I don't dash. know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I know what you're talking about, but I don't know what the hell it's called. I know, I, it's on the tip of my tongue. I know, and I don't know why gonna, you, you did. Yep. It's going to fucking bother me. Well, I'm going to keep on telling you about Satanic Panic. Once you remember the name of this creature, just shout it out at me, please. Okay. Yes. Okay. I got I got a side quest. You side quest. Side quest. I need to come up with, like, a jingle for a side quest now. Yes, absolutely. Da, da, da. Every time we get distracted, it's just side quest. Side quest. <laughs> Love it. So... The wording of the letter sent out by the police also was a huge problem as it implanted ideas in the already malleable children's minds about what abuse had taken place. It's like, oh, well, did you see Ray tie anybody up? Well, oh, now did that you, you mention it, I did. I did. Did you see Ray also fly across the classroom? You know, that is uh, tickling a little bit of a something. You know, I think I might have seen him fly. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly. And they're kids. They're so impressionable. So, yes. like you said, take the imagination with officers feeding you these fantastical stories. What kid isn't going to go along with it? Well, at the end, the trial came to a close in 1990 when the jury acquitted all of the McMartin preschool defendants of their crimes. The McMartin trial ended up becoming the longest and most expensive trial in U.S. history, totaling a total of seven years and costing the prosecutors $15 million with zero people charged. What? Oh, yeah. $15 million? $15 million in seven years. Every single person was acquitted of their crimes because they just didn't have the evidence. Well, I'm looking for the name. Love that. <laughs> there was a little bit of... Did you find it? It's a tulpa. That's it! That's it's a it! tulpa! 
complete. <laughs> I mean, achievement unlocked. Ba, ba, ba. Ba, da, ba. Okay. <laughs> so there was some good that came out of the McMartin case, even though it was dragged on for so long and with the panic and mass hysteria that ensued, was it did bring to light a ton of legitimate abuse cases that were able to be solved. But, you know, unlike what they thought, Satan was not the one committing these crimes. The majority of the crimes were perpetrated by people close to the victim, as is unfortunately the case in most abuse situations. It's just shitty people doing shitty things. Shitty people being shitty, literally. Well, in 1992, FBI agent Kenneth Lanning released an exhaustive report on his skepticism around the presence of satanic ritual abuse. But not only did Lanning's report state that the likelihood of elected officials also being human sacrificing Satanists was extremely low, it also stated that there was no evidence of occult sacrifice found in the United States at all. Maybe about, like, 1 in 30 of elected officials. Maybe. Right. Not most, but some. Maybe some. You gotta sprinkle a few in there to keep it fun. Keep it fresh. Keep it light. Funky. Funky Funky fresh. fresh. Well, in 1994, two years after Lanning's report came out, the National Center on Child Abuse and Neglect corroborated Lanning's report with the country's first ever comprehensive nationwide study. In the study, 11,000 psychiatrists and police department workers were surveyed, and out of 12,000 different claims of satanic ritual abuse, not a single one could be sustained with any hard evidence. Took them long enough. 12,000 cases with no evidence. No evidence. No evidence at all. No physical evidence. And this is the time where DNA evidence was becoming a thing. Yeah. This was really like the start of DNA evidence. Like hard, actual forensic evidence. Mm -hmm. And they were not using it. No. If this was the 1800s, I'd be like, yeah, well, it's the 18 fucking hundreds. Everyone was buff then. Right. You know? (laughs) Right. But like, goddamn. Yeah, no. They... This is the 80s. All the cops are just stupid then. I don't know know what the excuse is this time, but that's the one I'm going to go with. They were eating donuts. Snorting cocaine. Well, yeah. Duh. It's what everyone did in the 80s. Well, duh, it's the 80s. But the satanic panic did not only affect those who were wrongly accused, like I mentioned earlier. Along with the report by the FBI, research found that those who underwent memory recall therapy actually showed a decline in their psychological health, functioning, and their mental well-being. Well, of course, because they're telling you that all this bad stuff happened to you if it never actually happened. They're making you live through trauma that you have never experienced. Exactly. That would severely fuck with you. Yeah. Like, and it was happening all over the country to thousands of people. Well, the book, The Courage to Heal, which was the book that was responsible for the idea of... um, The sexual abuse. Yeah, sexual abuse memory recall being, Mm -hmm. like, big in America, coined the lovely nickname, the Bible of Incompetent Therapists. Oh, oh, that's rich. Fucking burn. Oh, that's rich. Yeah. (laughs) Put that in your skillet and let it simmer. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. Uh. Well, apologies started to come out from reporters and children involved during the satanic panic. Former McMartin student Kyle Zapolo stated, I lied. 
It was an ordeal, and I remember thinking to myself, I'm not going to get out of here unless I tell them what they want to hear. In 1995, former host of NBC's special on Satan worship, Geraldo Rivera, released a public apology for his involvement. He said, I want to announce publicly that as a firm believer of the Believe the Children movement of the 1980s that started with the McMartin trials in California, but now I am convinced that I was terribly wrong and many innocent people were convicted and went to prison as a result. No fucking shit. At hey, least I, they came out and took some, like, accountability for spreading false information. That's fair. But, hey, I existed at this point. Yes. I existed. Yes, you did. At the end of 1995, I existed. You existed for this. You were at the tail end of the satanic panic. You didn't exist yet. I did not exist yet. I was close. Two months. Two months away from two existing. Two months later. Right. <laughs> well... As you see, Satanism was and still is an extremely easy scapegoat used to suppress those who are different or outcasts from society or whatever society deems normal. It's also used to shift blame onto other big, bad, unseen entities because it relieves guilt. Like, if it's in the hands of something you can't control, then what are you going to do about it? You can't do anything. You've done all you can done by telling people about it. Well, yeah, and if it's not your fault, then it's not your problem. Exactly. Yeah, shifting the blame alleviates any feelings of guilt. And now, like, the crimes are out of the control of the police and society. So I can't do anything. No longer my problem. Mm-hmm. It's just how it was back then. But Still is today, though. Right. Because with modern research, it shows that memory is more malleable but also less reliable than anybody ever thought Elizabeth Loftus dove into it when it came to eyewitness testimony. Like, Mm -hmm. our brains are extremely unreliable when it comes to remembering detail. Well, yeah, because every time you recall it up, it changes. Yeah. You're retelling it to yourself, but every time you recall it, it changes. And even though all evidence points to the contrary, a shocking amount 60 to 89% of modern day clinicians still think that memories can be repressed and recovered. So that's like still a huge issue we're dealing with today where therapists are using these techniques on people and implanting these like false memories or just heightening the feelings of trauma that the patients went through. And it's just going to, like, we're just going to see shit repeat over and over again because we never learn. So all it is is just suggestion to vulnerable people in a vulnerable state. Yep. Hmm. 100%. Hmm. This is all just the power of suggestion to people who are already looking for suggestion to happen. They are already coming in with, like, a weakened psyche looking for psychological help and so if you tell them oh well this happened and if you do x y and z it will help you that person is going to do those things because they came to you for guidance and help and help and then like we said psychiatrists were the only people at the time who could vote these repressed memories mm-hmm. so, so it was just a cash grab so there's no such thing as repressed memories no your brain doesn't do that your brain does not do that even if it's severely traumatic your brain doesn't block out no bits no you just forget shit over time and you like can remember it 
getting your memory jogged with certain things. Mm. It's happened to all of us where you're listening to a song that you haven't heard in like two decades, but it comes on and you still remember all of the words. Yes. Like, until that song came on, you weren't thinking about it. You weren't remember like actively remembering it, but something inside of you triggered that memory response. So all of a sudden you were able to sing all of the lyrics 20 years after hearing it the first time also why you're so good to have around because I am extremely forgetful and you'll be like hey will you remember that one time that we did this one thing and I'll be like what? I'll be oh, like I do now yeah and then it yeah, all so comes back from a psychological and science standpoint no memories cannot be repressed hmm. people believe that a lot of the time to help deal and cope with trauma mm-hmm. but from a psychological standpoint it's just not possible our brains don't work that way so they're is, unreliable and they're very unreliable malleable at best. So, is it possible then for a brain to force you to forget something? It's not repressed, but make you forget it. There's no like mechanism in the brain necessarily that is like, oh, well, these are traumatic memories, so we're gonna forget those. It's just a matter of what you spend the most time focusing on really Mm. like put it in terms of musical instruments right if you play like for me i played piano for years took lessons and i did pretty well at it but then i stopped playing and i stopped focusing on that part of my memory that had all of these songs memorized and now i sit down at the piano and i don't know them anymore and if i sit down and work on it i can figure it out hitting certain notes trigger certain memories I'm like oh yeah now I can play it because I remember how and it's kind of the same way with like the repressed memories like you're not going to sit there and harbor on trauma that is something you want to forget yeah and so you will eventually because you stop putting your focus in that when you start healing mm-hmm. hmm. and that's also why Every single one of us can still remember how to play hot cross buns on the recorder. Fuck yeah, we can. Every fucking buddy. So, we still see satanic panic echoed through society today. Mm. It's still a very prevalent thing. An example that stood out to me actually happened last year. I don't know if you remember the big hullabaloo around Satan in March of last year. But... Uh, there was a lot going on in March of last year. Musical artist Lil Nas X, oh, he released his yeah. music video for Montero. But yeah. not only did he release the music video for Montero, he had a collab with a shoe manufacturing company named Mischief out of New York. And they made and released his unofficial Satan-themed Nikes. So they released in March of 2021. The company released 666 pairs of the shoe. And they were adorned with the red Nike swoosh, a Bible verse alluding to Satan's fall from grace, which was Luke 10, 18. And each pair also contained a single drop of human blood in the insult. Well, it caused a fucking hysteria last year. People were livid about this. 
Um, the company ended up being sued for copyright infringement from Nike because they used Nike's imagery Logo without, without their permission in a negative light because it was Satan themed. So they got sued and all sales of the collector sneakers were halted. Uh, they weren't able to sell anymore, but the people who had already purchased their shoes for a whopping $1,018 a pair were able to keep them. <laughs> I should hope so for that fucking amount of no change. No shit. Like, you would have to rip those shoes off my cold, dead feet if you wanted them from me after I paid that much money. Oh, my God. I would never pay that much money for fucking shoes. Ever. Ever. Well, thrums of accusations similar to the Satanic Panic popped up on an internet forum website, 4chan, back in 2017 uh, by the political conspiracy movement QAnon. QAnon used the platform mostly to spread rumors of a Satan-worshipping cabal run by elitist politicians who would ritually abuse children. Ring any bells? Sound familiar? I mean, that almost makes more sense, but that could just also be help, like, aiding in the problem. Right. The fact that I'm like, you know, that could be possible. The government could do that! <laughs> well, this is where it starts getting a little bit more, uh, science fiction, mm. let's say. Um, in the supposed rituals, the politicians were said to drain the children's bodies of a chemical compound called adrenochrome where they would then ingest it to gain drug-like euphoria. Euphoria. Right. It just makes it high. It's like speed, but from human children blood. Mm, children blood. When I was reading this specifically, I'm like, okay, so they read Doctor Sleep by Stephen King. Mm -hmm, that's kind of what that sounds like. And just, like, twisted it. It was like, but Democrats. <laughs> Biden. Absolutely. Yeah. It's Biden, goddammit. Goddamn Joe Byron. Well, QAnon conspiracies do vary a bit from the older Satanic Panic conspiracies back from the 80s, largely in part to their strong far-right political leaning. So a lot of QAnon conspiracies are in favor of Republicans and anti-Democrats, but we all know it's all bullshit. Because Trump would never grab a woman. Ever. 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 Absolutely not. <laughs> He's a fine, upstanding citizen. I say that with every drop of sarcasm in my being. I can't even, like, listen to that without feeling nauseous. Well, looking back, though, throughout the decades, something does remain consistent with the satanic panic, and that's that the satanic panic will arise from the public's need to see themselves as heroes saving the less fortunate from evil. Anytime they need to feel self-righteous in whatever the fuck they're doing, they're boring-ass lives. We'll have a little bit more satanic panic pop up. Maybe it'll be something more interesting this time. Like... Last time it was shoes. Time before shoes. that it was music. I mean, there was that whole clown thing. Yeah, the clowns with knives. That was fun. See, but Satan wasn't blamed for clowns with knives. Which is interesting. Like, you're gonna blame Satan for shoes, which were Satan-themed. I get it. But you're not gonna blame Satan for clowns with knives in the forest. See, that was just fun, in my humble opinion. It didn't happen to me, so I thought it was fun. Well, yeah, I was reading about it, and I thought it was fun. It was entertaining to read, because mm -hmm. it was not happening anywhere near where I lived. I mean, I, I would still think it's kind of fun. I'd be like, hmm, not going to go after dark today. Yeah, go out. No, nah, right. but, <laughs> See, at uh, the time of uh, Murderous Clowns, I think I lived in, like, 
the middle of nowhere that was dark down the street from a prison. So I was real good on that. Like, incredibly very much good on that. But yeah, that about wraps up my episode on Satanic Panic and all the information I have for you today. A plus on the research. Oh, thanks. I put a lot of time into it. Like I said, it's just like a research, like psychology paper mm-hmm. about a fun topic. I had so much fun learning about the Satanic Panic. And like I I barely scratched the surface. Like there's so much more involved with this. And we're definitely going to come back and revisit it on some later episodes. Like when we cover... Uh, Richard Ramirez and West Memphis 3. Whoo! I just... Memory is so interesting to me. That whole thing with memory is just like, damn. That's why I'm a psychology major, dude. The brain is so interesting to me. (laughs) I mean, that's part of why I studied literature, because the things that people write from their brains is so interesting. And sometimes, sometimes fiction is more reliable than fact because it's all based on a true story. Yep. No matter which way you flip it. That's some Freudian shit if I've ever heard it. (laughs) Ain't it though? Not as Freudian as repressed memories of your parents. Oedipus, motherfucker. (laughs) Well, anyways, thank you so much for joining us on another episode of Creeptology. It's been fun, and I had a great time hanging out with y'all today. If you have any questions, stories, or topics you're interested in, you can send them in to us at creeptologypodcast at gmail.com. But for the time being, we will be releasing episodes exclusively on Spotify every other Thursday until life settles down a little bit more. So until next time, little parasites, stay creepy and hail Satan! Woo!